Good morning. It's so good to be together, to sing together, to be reminded of our blessed hope that one day Christ will return and he will bring us to himself. We will be with the Lord forever. Uh, but today he calls us to persevere by faith. And so I want to pray for us before we open his word and he feeds our faith through the scriptures. Father, we thank you for this time that we get together together. We thank you, Lord, for uh, uniting us to uh, your family here on earth and, and the expression that family takes here at Redeemer Church. Lord, we praise you for uh, the love we share together because of your gospel. Father, we thank you that week after week we get to come together and, uh, and remember Jesus Christ and fix our eyes on him. We get to uh, remember that you love us. We get to uh, remember and experience the glory of your spirit who fills us and most of all, Lord, we thank you for how you feed us your word. Lord, we thank you that you meet with us and you speak to us, that your word is living and active and that you change us. Lord, you sustain us. You do your work. And, and Lord, we need that work in our hearts right now. Uh, Father, we need you to create faith where there's unbelief. And we believe that you change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Lord, we need you to strengthen our doubts. We need you to uphold us when we are wavering. And Father, we need you to give us perseverance to believe that this world is moving toward a final day. And that whatever you ask of us in this life, whatever sufferings or trials we may endure, that they will, they will not last forever. They are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that you are preparing for us. And so, Lord, we pray most of all that you would grant us faith this morning. And that that faith would take expression through love in our lives for you for one another and for this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask, have you ever started something and then later regretted it? Ever found yourself facing something difficult and wishing that you had never set out on that path to begin with? That's how I felt a few years ago when I was running a 5K which I know is not that long. I don't love running, but for some reason it seemed like a fun thing until the race started. I had a friend who was going to run with me, asking for the race, do you want to run together? And I thought, well, sure, that will make this more enjoyable. And it didn't take more than 30 seconds for my friend to be way out in front of me. And it didn't take much longer before I began thinking, why am I doing this? I could have just bought the T-shirt. <laughs> Really, it was only the potential embarrassment of not finishing the race that kept me going to the end. In an unrelated twist, for some reason they announced I came in second to that day. I did not come in second. I had a similar experience when I was taking Hebrew in seminary. For some reason, I waited to take Hebrew until it was the only class I needed to take to graduate. And it did not take long for me to wonder, am I going to graduate? <laughs>
from not giving up in Hebrew was knowing that everything else was already behind me and, and this, this was just, just, just pass, just find a way to pass. As an aside, yes, I did pass, but no, I don't really know Hebrew. <laughs> common experience in life that we come up against difficulties and, and the things that we set out to do, and when those difficulties come, we often think to ourselves, why did I sign up for this? We may wish we had never started in the first place. We may consider giving up and quitting. We might feel a sense of despair and stuckness. This can happen with school and career decisions. This can happen in marriage and family life. This can happen in ministry. This can even happen in our commitment to follow Christ. Why did I sign up for this? How am I ever going to get through this? I never should have started down this path to begin with. Can you open your Bibles to Matthew 14? Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, we have a story where the disciples find themselves on a boat that's being beaten by strong winds and waves in the middle of the night with no land in sight, and all of this without Jesus. He had sent them ahead of him, and meanwhile he was followed Jesus, but we find ourselves coming up against great difficulties and immense discouragements, and we feel like he's... We find ourselves being beaten by the waves of life's difficulties, and it seems like he's left us to navigate them alone. But what we're going to see this morning is that these thoughts of aloneness are not true thoughts. Those aren't true thoughts. Jesus meets these moments, and he works the faith that we need into our hearts so that we do not give up. So let's read this morning's passage. It's Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's an incredible story, and for many of us, maybe a familiar story. And I love coming to familiar stories in 
the Gospels and, and learning what is this really about. What is the story really teaching us? And this morning what we're going to see through the stories, we're going to see four ways that Jesus works faith in our hearts when we encounter difficulties in our lives. Four ways that Jesus works faith in our hearts when we encounter difficulties in our lives. And we'll see these four ways on the screen as we go. The first way is that Jesus creates faith. Jesus creates faith. The passage begins in verse 22 by telling us immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. The word here used for made, he made the disciples get into the boat, it's much more forceful than if the word were something like told or instructed. Jesus urgently sends them away without him. Why? Why does he make them go without him? Well, it's because Jesus urgently needed to be alone with his father. We saw last week that he was trying to withdraw from the crowds, but the crowds came to him, and, and here he, he, he says, you need to go, because I need to go be with the Father. Verse 23 tells us, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Jesus was fully human, and he lived a fully human experience where he depended on communion with his Father. And so in that urgency, he goes to the Father to pray. We can't miss the way that Matthew writes here. He, he says the mountain, not simply a mountain. You know, if you're, if you're talking about local geography and, and I, I said to you, I'm going to go over to the hill, well, that implies that you know the hill, which hill I'm talking about, right? Ma Matthew uses this phrase, the mountain. Why? Well, he does it at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He does it here, and he does it at the Transfiguration. Three times in the Gospel, he says the mountain. And every time he does that, as we see the times he uses it and the images that come forth, we realize that Matthew is saying to us, think about Moses. Think about Mount Sinai. Think about the experiences of, that we saw Moses have in the Old Testament because there's something that he wants us to see there. And So just keep that in mind as we continue. When we see Jesus going up the mountain, that there's a connection Matthew's trying to help us make with Moses. We're going to see what that is as the text unfolds. So look at verses 23 and 24. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus was on the mountain alone with the Father. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Let's try to understand this from the perspective of the disciples. Again, Jesus made them go ahead, and now they're in the middle of the sea, trying to navigate through wave after wave after wave to get to the other side. Now, the text never really uses the word storm, and it's a little bit different than what we saw earlier in Matthew when they were in a storm and afraid for their lives, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. Here we get the impression that they were not so much endangered by a storm as they were exhausted by the waves. They were exhausted. They were worn down. This was a hard and difficult journey that Jesus had sent them on. Wave after wave after wave, they're trying to make progress, and they can't make any progress, and it's already the fourth watch of the night. And though Jesus, from their past experience, they knew if he was here, he could just stop this now, he wasn't with them. At least they didn't think he was. But look at what happens next in verses 25 and 26. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. From communing with his father on the mountain, Jesus comes down the mountain, and he walks to the shore, 
And then he just keeps on walking out onto the sea, not into the sea, where it's first his knees and then to his waist. No, no, he's not into the sea. He's walking on the sea out to the disciples. The 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle wrote this reflection, those angry waves which tossed the ship of his disciples to and fro obey the Son of God and become a solid floor under his feet. That liquid surface which was agitated by the least breath of wind bears up the feet of our Redeemer like a rock. To our poor weak minds, the whole event is utterly incomprehensible, but to him who created the seas at the beginning, it must have been perfectly easy to walk over their waves when he pleased. Well, what did the poor weak minds of the disciples think? They thought it was a ghost. And what, else, what else could it have been? If you take the category of this is Jesus walking on the water out, what else might you see? Someone just in the night uh, levitating apparently over the water coming toward you. It's a ghost. And, you know, I imagine that if you're on a boat in a storm in the middle of the night and you think there's a ghost coming toward you, that the ghost is not coming to have tea, right? I mean, that ghost is coming to get you, right? So they are, they are terrified. They are crying out in fear. And Jesus speaks to their terror in verse 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be hopeful. Be cheerful. Do not be afraid. There's no danger here. There's no reason for terror here. And right in the middle of those two instructions, take heart, do not be afraid. Here's why. It is I. It is I. Those three words that we see in our English, it is I, literally are the two Greek words, I am. Ego eimi. I am. And here we can really begin to see the connection to Moses. It was to Moses that God first revealed his covenant name in Exodus 3. I am. God is the I am who redeemed his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And then on Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain by himself to commune with God, to behold God's glory. But in Jesus, do you see what Matthew is saying? Jesus is both the second Moses, the prophet they were looking for, who goes up the mountain to be with God. And yet at the same time, Jesus is the divine I am that Moses saw. Jesus is not merely a man. He's not merely a human. He's not merely another Moses. He's also the God that Moses beheld. And here he comes to them on the water, and he says, I am. Do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. Now, how is it that the disciples come to know and believe that this is true? How, how, did, how did this moment come to them? Well, it's through Jesus sending them into the difficulty. Before this moment could happen for them, he, he needed to providentially arrange that they would be in this situation. He, he sent them into the difficulty, and then he walked on the seat of them, and finally he spoke his words to his disciples. And all of this was part of his plan to reveal his glory to them. And in revealing his glory to them, he's creating faith in them. He's creating faith in them. Jesus creates faith. In our 
our hearts. He unveiled his divine nature to them in that moment, and he confirmed it with the words, I am. And, and listen, if this is who Jesus is, if Jesus is not merely a man but also fully divine, then that means that we are never actually alone. You know, there's a parallel in our experience here. Jesus is up on the mountain with his Father. They are in the sea facing these difficult waves. Well, well, for us, think about it. Jesus has ascended to heaven. Jesus is away from us. He is with his Father. We are here on earth facing wave after wave of difficulty. And yet, Jesus can say, as he ascends to heaven, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because he's the I am, he really is with us. He is simultaneously with his Father and with us. And so whatever difficulties you are facing, Jesus is the I am, and that means he is with you. And the way that we come to believe this is the same way the disciples did. How did they come to, to, to understand this and believe this? It's by hearing his words. By hearing his words. See, Jesus doesn't create faith only by his appearance to them, because we saw that they misinterpreted that entirely, right? I mean, they just thought it was a ghost. No, it's his words that come and explain what they're seeing and say, say, no, no, it's not a ghost, it's me, I am. It's through speaking his words to us that Jesus creates faith in us. And so this is the first application this morning. When we find ourselves in the midst of difficulty, when we find ourselves exhausted, wave after wave after wave is coming, and we are struggling, we need to hear the words of Jesus. We need to open our Bibles, and we need to behold who he is. We need to hear his words saying to us, I am the I am. And I am with you. Jesus creates faith in us through his word. That's the only way that faith is birthed in our hearts. It's through his word. And so, so Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. He creates faith through his word. And the story really could have ended there. Right? I mean, the disciples could have heard that, been glad, brought him into the boat, and, and they, they moved on. It should have ended there, except there's Peter. The disciple who always says what's on his mind, even though he probably shouldn't. And this brings us to the second way that Jesus works faith in us. There's a reason Jesus chose Peter, right? How much of our Gospels would we not have without Peter? Second thing we see is that Jesus strengthens faith. First, he creates faith. Second, Jesus strengthens faith. For Peter, the revelation of Jesus walking on the water and the words of Jesus declaring himself to be the divine I am were not enough. He still wasn't sure. And in his doubt, listen to what he says to Jesus in verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water it's significant for us to understand that Jesus did not initiate this sequence. Kind of how we remember it, but we need to see the way that this all unfolds. Jesus didn't call any of the disciples to come to him on the water. He simply called them to trust that he was with them and that they didn't need to fear. But for some reason, because of his doubt, Peter asked Jesus to call him out onto the water with him. And, and you know, Peter's mind just worked different, right? <laughs> like, why? Why? How does that connect? If you're doubting, why would you want to get out on the, on the water? Isn't that a huge step of faith? What, I mean, what are we seeing here with Peter? And I think what we're seeing is 
though it sounds paradoxical, we're seeing a doubting, desperate, genuine faith at work. A doubting, desperate, and genuine faith. Peter's saying, if it's you, Lord, and, and, and I'm struggling to believe it is. But if it is you, then call me to come to you on the water, because then I will know for sure, because I know you can do that. If Peter had just pure unbelief, there's no way he would risk his life to get out of the boat. And there's definitely no way he would walk toward a ghost. He had a weak faith. Yes, a doubting faith, but nevertheless, it was a true faith that was desperate to be strengthened. Peter wanted stronger faith in Jesus, and he knew out there is where I'm going to get it. Out on the water is where Jesus can strengthen my weak faith. And Jesus meets Peter where he's at. We see in verse 29, he said, come. Jesus says, come. Okay, I'll give the command, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for his request. He doesn't say, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test, Peter. No, Jesus gives the command. Peter longed to hear, come to me on the water. And somehow, some way, though he was doubting, Peter still climbed over the side of the boat and he let himself down. And at some point, Peter let go. At some point, he let go of the boat. And what he found was that that water was like solid ground under his feet. And step by step by step, Peter walked toward Jesus. And I imagine that whatever doubts Peter had in the boat surely shrunk with each step he took, realizing it really is you and you really are the I am. And here we see that Jesus not only creates faith, Jesus strengthens faith. I want to ask, have you ever felt like Peter did? You hear the words of Jesus, you open your Bible, you, you know what it says, you know that Jesus says, I am with you, I am the I am, you don't need to be afraid, but you struggle to believe. You doubt that what you are reading is really true and really reliable. What do you do then? Church, because of how Jesus granted Peter's request and strengthened Peter's faith in it, we can commend Peter's example. We can say this, when we are doubting the words of Jesus, we must take steps of faith toward Jesus. When we are doubting the words of Jesus, we must take steps of faith toward Jesus. One of the ways Jesus strengthens faith is by meeting us as we take steps of faith. His, his faith would not have been strengthened had he stayed in the boat. It was only by stepping out in faith toward Jesus that his wavering faith was strengthened by Jesus. And so right now, if you are doubting that he's with you, if you're doubting his word that he is with you, but if you have a desperate, genuine faith underneath that doubt, then let him strengthen that faith by following him into life's difficulties. Join Peter in your doubt and say to Jesus, if it's you, and I'm struggling to believe it is, but if it's you, then let me come to you on the water. And listen, Jesus invites you to come. He says, come. 
And Jesus will enable you to come, and Jesus will strengthen your faith as you do. Jesus creates faith through his word, and Jesus strengthens faith as we follow him. Third thing we see Jesus do as he works faith in our hearts is that Jesus upholds faith. Jesus upholds faith. So Jesus had moved toward the disciples on the water. He was creating faith through through revealing his glory and speaking his word. And then Jesus strengthened the weak faith of Peter by enabling him to walk on the water with him. And it seems that Peter had almost reached Jesus when that strengthened faith suddenly began to fail. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter went from struggling against the waves with the disciples to walking on the waves toward Jesus to fearing the waves that Jesus was enabling him to walk on. His mind wandered away from Jesus and back to the reality of his circumstance. And in that moment, he began to sink. Cried out, Lord, save me. And verse 31 shows us Jesus' merciful response. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There are a few truths about faith we need to draw out here. First, our faith is only as strong as our focus on Christ. Our faith is only as strong as our focus is on Christ. If we take our eyes off of him, then, then whatever strength of faith we may have does nothing for us anymore. The decisive moment that led Peter to sink was the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus and instead focused on his circumstances. He doubted because he stopped considering Jesus and he started considering the waves. He took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. And we do this, don't we? We, we? we just stop looking at Jesus. We stop thinking about Jesus. We, we take our eyes off him and we begin looking at all the things around us and we're forgetting he was just enabling me to walk on these waves. Why did I doubt? Why would we doubt? Because we're not seeing him anymore. Faith is only as strong as our focus is on Christ. But, but I want to press into this phrase, began to sink a little more. There's an author on Desiring God named John Bloom who had a very helpful article that, that shows that the, only, the miracle of walking on the water is not the only miracle in this passage, but also the miracle of how Peter sank. He points out that Peter seems to sink slowly in this scene. Now, we all know that not only can we not walk on water, but that we go straight through the water when we are in it. But, I mean, throw a rock in the water, it doesn't slowly go down, it doesn't slowly submerge, it just falls straight through, much less a person. And yet here the water almost functions like it's mud or something, right? It's like he, he began to sink. What, what does that look like, slowly going down into the water? This slow descent into the water was also a miracle enabled by Jesus so that Peter would cry out in that moment, Lord, save me. And when he cries out, Jesus immediately takes hold of him. Listen, if our faith is only as strong as our focus on Christ, then the moment we take our eyes off Christ, we're done. The moment we take our eyes off Christ, we drown. That's it. We are under the water at that point.
upholds faith in us when our faith would fail. In His mercy, when we take our eyes off Him, He doesn't let us just sink and drown. He lets us sink slowly so that in our sink, Save me. That slow sinking is his mercy to you. To say, cry out to me. Get, get your eyes back on me. And Jesus reaches out and firmly grips our hearts and assures us. down. Your eyes have gone off Jesus and, and you're seeing the waves and you, you don't know how you're going to make it. And, and Jesus, Jesus allowing you to slowly sink so that you would cry out to him, Lord, save me. So that you would get your eyes back on him. Jesus will uphold your fledgling faith. When we face waves of difficulty, Jesus creates faith through his word strengthens faith as we step out in faith, and Jesus upholds our faith when we fail. And finally, the last thing we see in this morning's passage is this, Jesus completes faith. Jesus completes faith. And Jesus doesn't say a word, but the wind immediately ceases to blow. Everything becomes completely calm and settled. There was surely so much they did not understand yet. When they called him the Son of God, they probably didn't understand that he was the eternally begotten Son by whom all things were created. They probably didn't understand that Jesus is one person with two natures, one human and one divine that are united and yet not not mixed together. They surely didn't understand that the Son of God had come to suffer for their sins and rise again so that they could be saved. But for all they didn't understand in this moment, they knew this, Jesus was worthy of their He's the object of our worship, and he's moving us to that point. And listen, we know so much more than the disciples did then. Jesus is the Son of God, who was with the Father before creation, and by whom all things exist, who became the Son of Man for our salvation. Jesus is the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for our sins on the cross. Jesus is the Son of God who powerfully rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's the Son of God who knows what it's like to live in a fallen world of difficulty because He's done it Himself. 
Therefore, he's able to help us in every difficulty. And Jesus is the Son of God who is going to come again. And listen, in a single moment, he's going to turn all the waves of difficulty in your life and in this world into a sea that is so calm it looks like glass. It's the picture we get at the end of Revelation. the disciples. He will bring our faith to completion. He will turn our faith to sight. We will see the Son of God in unveiled splendor and we will worship Him forever and ever. That's what Jesus is doing in our hearts. He's creating faith in us. He is strengthening that faith. He is upholding that faith because one day He's going to complete that faith. It will be turned to sight. The difficulties will be behind us and we will be fully focused on worshiping Him. And so bring your difficulties to Him today. Hear Him say, do not be afraid. I am with you. And for every part of you that struggles to believe those words, take steps of faith toward Him. Get out of the boat and walk toward Him and let Him strengthen your faith. Cry out to Him today. Whenever your faith is fledgling and, and wavering, when you take your eyes off Jesus and you begin to slowly sink, cry out to Him because He's the upholder of your faith.